0: The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. All right, well, good morning, Springs Church. Welcome, everybody, in the name of Jesus Christ. It's good to see you all this morning. And uh, if you're tuning in online, welcome. If you're here, uh, visitors, we usually try to give you a Uh, shout-out. Any visitors this morning? Anybody? Yeah, okay. Well, glad to have you here. Yes, and I believe we have Amanda Madrid, Dr. Amanda Madrid with us this morning. Yes, she's right back there. Thank you so much for being here, Amanda. Missionary extraordinaire, Predizan, Honduras. We're so glad to have you with us this morning. And I hope you will be here with us next Sunday morning as well. Um, because it's June and July, so that's always a great time of year. Uh, For Ben and I, we usually try every year to step away for June and July to uh, kind of focus on some other things and to focus on some long-term sermon prep and study. But it's also a great opportunity, as I say every summer, for other folks to get in the pulpit, to hear from some fantastic voices both within our congregation and without. Uh, So I'm excited to to hear from people like Ryan Jones and Kelly Osborne and Leah Redling, but also we've got uh, John Mark Hicks coming at the end of June, and we've got Brad East coming at the end of July. So Ryan Jones is actually going to kick us off next Sunday, June 4th. I hope you will be here because we're going to be beginning our summer series, our summer sermon series, United, Living Our Faith. Uh, So we're going to be focusing for about nine weeks on the practices that unite us as the people of God. So I hope you'll be here next Sunday. I always love hearing from Ryan as he kicks us off on June 4th. But this morning, we are in Romans 12. 9-13, 9-13, through 13, if you want to turn over in your Bibles. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Pursue hospitality to strangers. Let's pray, church. God, we give you thanks this morning for your love. And we give you thanks for this word from you. Thanks be to you, God. Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit would allow us to see your words and to appropriate them in our lives, to be moved to obedience and faith, to be moved to proclaim your love to the nations passionately. God, I ask you for the gift of preaching. And it's in Christ's name we pray all these things. Amen. Some years back, I took a road trip with some buddies to Nashville to see a concert. And we had a lot of time to talk, as you can imagine, a couple of 10-hour commutes. And at times, our conversation veered towards our mutual Christian faith. And there was at one point where one of my friends began talking basically about the problem of religious fervor right the question of religious fervor and what he had seen in his own upbringing so he'd been at a church that was pretty stringent pretty hard line and he had seen that stringency kind of hurt people around him he had seen that passion taken to an extreme that he felt was an issue for christianity right and so his Solution to this was just to kind of lower the temperature, cool down, and kind of step back, moderate, calibrate. That this fervor is, is an issue, right? And that's when harm happens. He was talking, in essence, about the question of zeal. Zeal's not a word that we typically use in everyday conversation all that often. But we do use it, and we sometimes use it positively, sometimes negatively, right? We might say that someone is a zealot. We're probably calling them some kind of religious or political fanatic or radical, right? Or we might say that someone has an enthusiasm, this ardent passion in their lives. They have a zeal for something good and admirable, Right? Paul, in our text, in verse 11 of Romans 12, he says, Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. So Paul seems to think we should have some kind of zeal. My friend on the road to Nashville was worried about the negative consequences of zeal. So that brings the question up for us this morning. What is our relationship to zeal? What does zeal mean for worshiping and following Jesus Christ? Well, I want to talk about zeal this morning in three different modes, three different aspects of zeal. I want to talk about dangerous zeal, directed zeal, and dying zeal. Dangerous, directed, and dying. So let's begin with dangerous zeal. And we're going to do this by looking more closely at the life of the Apostle Paul. All right, so zeal is actually very important as a concept for Paul. In two of the places in his letters where he tells his conversion story, where he came to know Christ, Paul uses and talks about zeal. So Galatians chapter 1, he's talking about his life before Jesus. He says this, you've heard no doubt of my earlier life in Judaism. I was violently persecuting the church of God and was trying to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many among my people of the same age, for I was far more zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. There's another passage like that one in Philippians chapter 3, where Paul says, If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. "...circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless." So in Galatians, Paul says, "...I had more zeal for the traditions of my ancestors than anybody, all my peers." In Philippians, he says, as to the law, Pharisee. Zeal? I persecuted the church. I put my money where my mouth was. N.T. Right, Wright talks about the Pharisees as this group that was very much concerned with loyalty to their people and purity. Right? And so Paul, as this young Jewish Pharisee, you can see him kind of getting fired up, looking at some of the disloyal members of his tribe on the inside, and then looking outside and seeing the pagan, sinful power of Rome, and this fires up Paul. So he, he's going to enforce the boundaries, right? He's going to cleanse his people and purify them. And he goes so far as to persecute this heretical sect of Jesus worshipers and followers, He says, I had zeal more than anyone. This is the zeal of Saul. Saul of Tarsus, right? Before his name was changed to Paul. This is pharisaical zeal. This is dangerous zeal. Have you ever experienced that kind of zeal? I think most of us have probably been near or been involved Or been persecuted by dangerous zeal. Or maybe we were the one inflicting that dangerous zeal. It's all over human society, I think. Through every culture and institution, right? We see zeal in all kinds of places. We see zeal in the political arena, right? In the far extremes on each side. We see people zealous, People, and if you dig down into every institution and group and party, you'll see people who are zealous to to kind of purify the group, right? The way that Paul was with this dangerous zeal that wound up persecuting the church. And it's even in the church. We see dangerous zeal even in Christianity. Right, uh about a month ago, one of my favorite singer-songwriters, Josh Ritter, came out with a new album. And so I was listening to, while I was mowing the lawn, which is where I do most of my music listening these days, and there's a line, the first verse of the final song on the album, which is called Someday, where he, he says this, missionary zeal, mercenary eyes, The world puts its whole foot down on the little guy and grinds him on down back to the dust from whence he came. Someday there's going to be justice. Will it be today? My ears perked up at those first two words, missionary zeal. And then I heard mercenary eyes, right? Coupling missionaries with someone who's so intent on gain that they ignore ethics. I heard that and that saddened me. It made me sad for a couple of reasons. I was sad because there have been Christians and indeed Christian missionaries throughout the centuries who've been guilty of that kind of dangerous zeal, right? We can name Christians who've been guilty of all kinds of sins, who've been Included in colonialism and exploitation and greed and violence and all kinds of persecution. We've seen that and it makes me sad. It's something to lament. But it also made me sad because of all the missionaries that I know with a different zeal. A good zeal. Not a dangerous zeal, but a directed zeal. A zeal directed at the good news of Jesus Christ. A zeal that is not putting its foot down on the little guy, but is on the side of the little guy. The missionaries who've been zealous to serve the poor, serve the least of these, feed the hungry throughout the world for years and years and years. Missionaries that are in this congregation right now, Amanda, Madrid, the Langfords, the Hicksons, the Shreks, the people on the mission field right now, the Vikramans, the Rorcasis, the Brazzles, the Osborns, the Bowles, so many people who've given their lives zealously, directing their energy and passion at the good news of Jesus. So it made me sad. Because of what we have done as Christians, the sins we have to own up to lament and repudiate, but also sad because there's a directed zeal that needs to be more known. A directed zeal. Zealous for the love of God for the world. So what's the difference? What's the difference between dangerous zeal and directed zeal? how do we distinguish between those? Well, I think Paul helps us here as well, because just a couple chapters before, in Romans 10, Paul is talking about Israel and the Jews who have rejected Jesus, that these Gentiles have come to faith, but sadly, many of his fellow countrymen have not believed in Jesus as the Messiah, and he says this in Romans 10, he says, I can testify that they have a zeal for God, but it is not based on knowledge. Not knowing the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they have not submitted to God's righteousness. Have a a zeal not based on knowledge, or the NET says, not in line with the truth. So the difference is knowledge. The difference is zeal with or without knowledge of the truth. And I think we can see that. I think we've all been involved in situations in our lives where we've probably acted zealously without full knowledge of the situation, where we've been moved to action with zeal without knowledge of the truth. I think we've all been there. My dad has some stories like that, and he was kind enough to let me share one of them this morning. Um, I was in Taekwondo as a younger kid for several years, and so my parents would come to the Taekwondo studio and you know, watch me practice learning martial arts. And at one point my dad came and uh, he had to go to the restroom. So he went to the Taekwondo studio bathroom and he sits down in a stall and then he sees that a, a woman has come into the bathroom and sits down in the stall directly next to him. My dad kind of, stirred up by her error, uh, decides to say across the stall wall, ma'am, do you know what restroom you're in? To which she responded, yes, do you? Beads of sweat begin forming on my dad's forehead. And uh, turns out, my parents find out this is actually someone my mom went to high school with. So always want your husband's foibles to be in front of your high school classmates. But he was stirred with this kind of gumption and zeal to enforce a boundary, to address this barrier. That he had felt it had been broken and he had not actually had the knowledge of the situation he was in. He didn't have full, truthful knowledge of what was going on. But he had the zeal. And I think we've all experienced that. I think maybe not exactly that, but we've experienced zeal without knowledge. I think zeal without knowledge could probably be pinned to the top of our social media feeds. Right? Zeal without knowledge is just one of the most perpetual, pressing human problems, right? Because when powerful people use zeal without knowledge, people die. Paul says it's knowledge, but... It's not just a generic knowledge. It's knowledge of something specific in Romans 10. Look at verse 3 again. Not knowing the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they've not submitted to God's righteousness. A little bit before this, at the end of chapter 9, Paul says they didn't strive for it on the basis of faith, but on the basis of works. All right, Paul knows this kind of zeal. He knows the kind of agitated, stirred up zeal that's got to work to enforce his own salvation and his whole people's salvation. Right, Paul knows this kind of dangerous zeal. He's been there. A zeal that doesn't know God who has given righteousness through Jesus Christ. God who doesn't ask us to have to work for it, but now just to trust in his work and work from that basis. In other words, Saul's zeal makes him God's cleanser, but Paul's zeal shows him cleansed by God. Saul's zeal, the the zeal of the Pharisee, Saul, makes him the cleanser, the purifier, the enforcer. But apostolic zeal, the zeal of the apostle Paul, the zeal who has trusted in Jesus Christ, of that Paul, it shows him cleansed by God. It shows him a sinner amongst all sinful people who's never going to be able to measure up based on his own works, but has to trust in the faith of jesus christ by putting his faith in jesus christ meredith mentioned uh timothy keller in her communion homily and i i was also mourning his loss the friday before last Um, he was a great preacher and thinker and writer he's had a huge influence on me and nobody was better on this really. About, in fact, we've been studying in our connections group, the fields have been leading us through a Timothy Keller devotional book right now, and we were just talking about the way that the gospel frees us from that kind of works righteousness base, right? Because when it's based upon your works, it's very important for you to maintain a view of yourself as a good person, Right? And so we're not open to criticism. But the gospel frees us to see that we are sinners saved by Jesus Christ, that we're freed by grace, and therefore then we can work from that posture. We see ourselves as sinners cleansed by God, and we trust in Him. Which brings us back to our central verse here, Romans twelve eleven, where Paul says, do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Using a slightly different wording here, Paul says, hey, the only problem is not just dangerous zeal. There's directed zeal, that's good. Dangerous zeal, bad. There's also dying zeal. There's also a lack of zeal, a lag of zeal. And Paul says that's a problem too, right? Because zeal is what fuels the fire of our faith, and that's actually... In the Greek word for zeal that's usually used is there's this idea of heat, of boiling, right? Zeal is what gives us the ability to act with passion on behalf of others, on behalf of God and the world. Dangerous zeal is a problem. It's a problem in our world. But dying zeal is also a problem. I had never heard this term before, but I heard somebody use this word a couple weeks ago. They, they said affluenza as a problem in our society, right? So, this combination of affluence and influenza, this strange spot that we're in as a people where we have so much prosperity and wealth and comfort, and yet, strangely, we, we struggle so much, so many of us with this malaise and despair, this lack of purpose and direction. A lack of zeal. A lack of passion. And that's a problem in the church, too. Right? It's a problem for Christians. In fact, I was reading a book by John Webster, a theologian a little while back, and he had a line that, just kind of punched me in the gut because he, he uses ministers as an example, but he's talking about zeal and he says, Zeal is public passion for gospel truth. Without it, the church drifts into the indifference, weariness, or irony of the late career religious professional. Ouch. You had to use my line of work as the example but we can see that i think not just ministers but in Christians as a whole we can see ourselves maybe we've been wounded by zeal and so we we reduce it right or we we distance ourselves from passion for the gospel truth and we add these layers of irony and indifference and apathy it's easy to let our walk with god slowly sputter to a halt But Paul says, do not lag in zeal. Right? Paul says, don't reduce misplaced zeal, reroute it to Christ. Don't reduce misplaced zeal. Reroute it to Christ. Don't totally get rid of that boil, that heat that stirs up a passion for what Jesus is doing in the world. The passion that fuels missionaries on the side of the little guy, on the side of the kingdom of God. Don't reduce it. Reroute it. Direct it to Jesus. We think of Maybe there's an analogy with nuclear power. Nuclear power can go very destructively wrong when you think about a nuclear meltdown, that boiling, overheating. But it also funds and fuels human flourishing in so many areas of society. Right? It, without it, if we pull the plug, there's an even greater energy crisis. Right? So, Paul is saying, don't get rid of it. Direct it to something that is flourishing. Direct it to the proclamation of the good news that you don't have to work, but that Jesus has freed you to work from His posture of grace. So, we need to find the unambiguous actions that we can zealously pursue for the kingdom of God, right? If you're confused about where to direct your zeal, look for the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Paul says in Galatians, there's no law against that. Against such things, there is no law. I think back, to my friends' worries on the road to Nashville. Worries about religious fervor and zeal that can be harmful, which is a real thing we have to repudiate. And then maybe that's where some of you are this morning. Maybe you've been harmed by spiritual zeal. Maybe you've harmed people through your own zealous activity. I think this morning of of the zeal that maybe some of us have distanced ourselves from. The indifference, apathy, irony. But my response to my friend on the road to Nashville, I didn't really know what to say. All I knew is that there have been Christians throughout the centuries who have zealously done great things for the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. And so I talked about the civil rights movement. I thought about people who have zealously faced down mobs of injustice. Dying zeal won't do that for you. Directed zeal will. Right? Dying zeal won't support you in the face of all kinds of egregious error. But directed zeal will. I think if we stepped in to Atlanta, Georgia, Ebenezer Baptist Church in 1960, we wouldn't find dying zeal. We would find zeal directed towards Jesus Christ. Zeal directed towards the little guy. Zeal directed towards the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. We need less dying zeal. And we need more zeal that is willing to die. The zeal of the martyrs. We need less dying zeal and more zeal that is willing to die the way that Jesus in zeal went to the cross to free us. To free us from our sinfulness. To free us from the injustice that enslaves us. To free us by grace. To zealously proclaim His love to the nations brings, church, don't lag in zeal. The stakes are too high. Don't lag in zeal. There's too much work to be done, not works righteousness, but the work that it participates in the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ, who's freed us by grace through the zeal that took him to the cross and the power that raised him from the dead. Let's stand and zealously praise the risen Jesus this morning.